What's going on, everybody? This is Jerome Moore, host and creator of Deep Dish Conversations. And firstly, I want to say thank you for all of support and thank you for exploring the perspectives of social change with me on this platform. I want to encourage you all to like, subscribe, and follow us on YouTube and on your favorite podcast listening platform. And make sure you give us a five-star rating if you're loving the Deep Dish Conversations. I appreciate all of the support again. I hope you all enjoy this episode. Dr. Berthina, how you doing? Welcome to the platform. I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm excited about this interview. Excited to get into all of your deep, darkest secrets that we can't Google and uh, let the voters decide. Sounds good. <laughs> so happy to be here and thanks for the invitation. Uh, no, thank you. And, um, you know, education is important. It's right? very important. It's important. And uh, you're running for Metro National School Board. Uh, District 4. District 4. Donaldson, um, Hermitage, and Old Hickory. Donaldson, Hermitage, and Old Hickory. Um, how are you feeling about it? I'm feeling good. I'm really excited. We have a great response, community engagement. Um, we're excited, ready to go. And so um, I'm going to go ahead and start off with it like this. Um, what's what's, what's, what's going to be the difference between this election and the last election that you participated in? Great question. Um, last election, I had a lot of things going on. Um, I stepped into the school board race. Um, several people in the community reached out to me um, after the passing of our former school board chair, Anna Shepard, um, who I knew um, and had worked with in the community. Um, and her passing was a little difficult for me. Um, so it took me a little time to decide to step into the race and get involved. Um, but once I stepped in um, and really had those conversations, um, I got involved in the school board race. Um, I do I do school um, I do school improvement work at a national level. I'm really involved and really excited about this work. And um, I think the difference between this race and the last race um, is the level of engagement, the level of participation. We're, we've been able to see. Uh, what is happening on the school board now? We have able there, we see the difference uh, during the time that I served on the school board um, versus what's happening now on our school board. And I just think we need a we need a good change, and our our community wants a change. Um, and so we're going to get out there and make it happen. And so you and already opened up the door for me. Good, thank you. So what is that? What, what does that change? What is it? What does that change that um, that? that we need to see, specifically represent District 4 um, on the school board? Well, I, I think we need, um, I, I can speak personally, mm -hmm. um, and, and just from the feedback, I've held listening sessions across our community with teachers um, and support staff, with families, and even with students, um, just to kind of get their feedback on what they're looking for um, in representation on District 4. And they really want to make sure that they have a representative that's centering their voices um, and centering the voices of those who are most impacted by the decisions. Um, many of them just feel like their voice isn't heard. Their right. representation isn't heard in District 4. Right. Um, and they want someone who is accessible, um, who, who is communicating, who is being intentional um, about uplifting their voice and the concerns that they have um, in District 4. Um, and across our system. They also want someone um, who doesn't have to have a learning curve, um, right. who's been in there, who understands it. Um, I'm a parent of uh, six, I tell everyone, I'm a parent of six, five of my children have graduated from Metro Nashville Public Schools and I still have a third grader. 
Um, so I experienced, like every other parent, experienced the challenges uh, of the pandemic, the challenges prior to the pandemic. Um, and then also being um, an educator with more than 25 years of experience, I understand what it's like to be a teacher in a classroom. Um, with large classroom sizes, with the lack of resources. Um, I've been a school principal, so I understand what it takes to um, balance budget and what it feels like when you don't have the staff in place and you're trying to, to, to juggle things um, to make sure you're not only supporting your staff, but you're supporting students in the, in the process. Um, and then working at the national level, I'm able to, to really look at a lens on how MNPS fares as as you know, on a national lens right. um, and things that we're doing well and opportunities that we definitely need to grow. Right. And so just having that multi-layer perspective, I think, is important. Mm -hmm. um, I can, you know, joining the school board, I can hop in and hit the road. Right. Um, running. It, yep, running. <laughs> Not even a learning curve. Right. Um, and, and just know how to be intentional about centering the conversations that we need to have. So there's a lot of conversations right now that are being had around education. And uh, for me, um, it, it has to be difficult being somebody that, you know, specifically has to represent, you know, a district, right? Mm -hmm. And those are your constituents. But also understanding that, like, there's a larger picture uh, when it comes to education that maybe your constituents um, are affected by or not affected by, mm -hmm. right? And so... How do you balance both of those? Because I believe that um, somebody that's in your position could also help community grow and learn, right? Absolutely. Um, because they may not know or may not understand. Like, yeah, maybe our district may not be as affected mm -hmm. by certain issues that are happening in MNPS, but that doesn't mean that, you know, we shouldn't care about them at the same time. Absolutely. And, and so... As a school board member, how do you balance that and also help your community potentially grow when it comes to those things when you know that, you know, yeah, they may be not affected by it, but, hey, this is something we need to be learning from and tapped into as a community? Yeah, so equity is a big issue for me, right? Mm -hmm. What I want for my district, I want for every other district across our, our system, right? Um, if we have high-quality schools, I want high-quality schools in every part of Nashville. I feel like every student um, not only needs but deserves and has the right to a high-quality education, right. period. Um, and so as I have conversations, um, not only representing my district, but looking at the bigger landscape of MNPS as a system, there are issues there that, that we can address as a whole that will help my district in particular and will help our system. So when we think about some of the issues that are really important to me is funding. Historically, Metro Nashville Public Schools has been underfunded. All right right? Historically, that has been the case. We have to get it right. Our mayor has done, over the last couple of years, major investments into our school system, but our state ranks 45th in how they contribute to funding. Mm -hmm. So not only do we need to push our city, we need to push our state in doing what's right, um, right. by funding our schools, right? right? And making sure that our schools have has the resources that they need to help our students, right? Right. Another issue for me is, is around investing in our teachers and our support staff. Right now we are facing 
major shortages across our district, right? And so if we are not doing our due diligence in investing in our teachers and our support staff, and that's from our bus drivers to our cafeteria workers to our teachers and our paraprofessionals and everyone that has a, a, a part in making sure that our children are successful, we're not doing our due diligence, right? right? And so that means we are supporting pay increases. That means that we are supporting um, professional development um, to ensure that our, our, our teachers and our staff are truly meeting the needs of our students, and that means meeting them where they are mm -hmm. and helping them grow. Right. Um, and then also making sure that, that it's sustainable, right. right? So how are we being intentional about retaining and recruiting and sustaining right. <laughs> our district? And so I think for me, those are, those are system-wide things as well as things that can be particular for District 4, right? Right. Um, and really developing that growth. And so there's so many different areas for me that I would like to see us truly focus in on. So it's not either District 4 right. or our MNPS school system. It's both and. Right. right. And we need to make sure that we are looking at that. You have a lot of experience, right? I was looking like, oh, masters, doctors, more certifications, right? Yeah. <laughs> which I think, which is, which I think is needed <clears throat> for anybody that's going to, I think, be school board and understand the education system. Mm -hmm. Like you said, you can come in there and hit the ground running. Mm -hmm. You're also uh, a woman of color. I am. Right, um, and we know that um, the public school system in Nashville, specifically. Um, don't educate uh, specifically people of color, but more, even more specifically, black boys mm -hmm. um, the same way or as equitable, right? Mm -hmm. When it comes to suspensions and expulsions, you know, about 70% black kids, majority black boys, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then it goes into safety, public safety, right? Um, you know, behavior, discipline, what does that look like? How should mm -hmm. that be carried out? Should SORs be involved in that process? Mm -hmm. um, so can you speak a little bit about what public safety looks like to you? What discipline and behavior speaks, um, looks like to you um, in District 4, but also maybe just in MNPS in general? That will be equitable for all kids or make sure kids are not missing out on education? Absolutely. And so thank you for that question. Um, for me, it's critically important that we are disrupting the school-to-prison pipeline. Mm -hmm. We have to. Um, part of disrupting that school-to-prison pipeline is making sure that we are addressing the social, emotional, and mental well-being of our students, mm -hmm. okay? Um, what that looks like, um, I know Metro Schools has recently, in elementary, um, added advocacy centers mm -hmm. um, within, within their schools. And those advocacy centers are not punitive, but they're restorative. Right. It gives students a place to learn how to regulate um, and and um, reflect on what has gotten them discombobulated, as we say, right. but gotten them um, where they need to, to a, a time to cool down um, and refocus and, and re-identify. It gives them a place to talk through um, some of the, the concerns that they have and then recenter themselves and be able to reintegrate back in the classroom. 
And, and so I think also in middle school, that looks like middle and high school, that looks like our restorative practice centers. Right. Um, uh, uh, and, and the areas around restorative practice, I would really like to see in middle and high school that they expand upon that. Um, and in recent talks with the district, um, they're incorporating something called peace centers, mm -hmm. which is um, with those peace centers, it's also a restorative space uh, where students can go back into our, um, uh, leave out of their classrooms, again, uh, uh, look at uh, regulating right. um, their emotions, right. um, talking through some of the challenges that they're having, being able to go in and just recenter right. um, and come back in the classroom. I was a high school teacher. I taught at Antioch High School. Um, and I, I was part of the leadership that, that uh, started Cane Ridge High School. Um, so I work with high school students. Um, and oftentimes in those conversations, we had opportunities where students needed to recenter. Right. They needed to refocus. Right. Um, they needed to be redirected right. in those conversations. We need adults in place who have the knowledge and the skills to be able to do that right. and to be able to help and guide our students. Right. If, we don't, if we don't know other options exist, we're gonna continue to perpetuate the things that we're used to, right? Right. And so I think part of that restorative practice is really showing students um, and showing our, our youth that there's a different way. Right. Um, and there's a different way of doing things. Right. And really partnering with teachers so that they understand mm -hmm. that there's a different way too, mm -hmm. right? Because sometimes we can be in spaces where our reaction can also sometimes contribute to what's happening within classrooms or right. happening within hallways. Right. And so I think as we really look to build a restorative space from elementary through high school, it has to be a collective um, effort, not only for our students, but for our staff as well in truly um, uh, understanding what that means. Right. Okay, and really understanding it from adverse childhood experiences um, and all of the things that contribute to children um, and, and, and the things that they bring into the schools mm -hmm. and the things that they are experiencing within our schools as well. Um, I've, I've had a chance to build a little bit with a Sacred Schools Nashville. Mm -hmm. Really great organization made up of um, former MMPS students. Um, <clears throat> And they're pushing a lot of the social emotional learning, mm -hmm. but they're also having this huge discussion around um, um, SROs, mm -hmm. uh, school resource officers. Um, what are your thoughts um, for school resource officers? Is and is there a a place? Is there some type of equilibrium where it makes sense for police officers to be in middle schools and high schools um, in our public schools here? So I think there, there really needs to be a balance around that. Um, I, I believe that if we do have officers in, in our schools, our officers need training in restorative practices okay. um, to make sure that we're building those relationships. What's more important is, um, for me, is not so much having officers, but we having restorative practice leaders okay. um, in, our, in our schools that can be able to guide and really uphold the conversations and the culture and climate in which we are re really looking to create within our schools. Right. Um, is that a place necessarily for police officers being in that space as much as we want restorative practice leaders mm -hmm. who can really guide that conversation and really change it? Right. Now, there are um, uh, opportunities 
you know, we're in a world now where there are school shootings, right? Right, and that's the reality of things that are going on. Could police officers play a part in school shootings? Absolutely, that's a safety thing that, that we need to disrupt. But for everyday environment, we really need restorative practice leaders within our schools um, that serve in those roles that can interact and build relationships with our communities. Right. Um, when I was growing up, we had, um, we, we had members within our community that really built relationships right. with us so that when things became emotional or when things, um, when the climate rise, they had already had relationships uh, with students within the school that they were able to disrupt it right. um, and redirect it uh, right. quickly within that. And so that is something that I would really like to see us move towards. Now I want to um, kind of pivot back and get kind of specific to District 4. Sure. Um, because all of us don't live in District 4. Yeah. Right? Um, and so can you highlight for us, you know, kind of some of the schools that that are in District 4, but also what are some things that you hope to bring to District 4 um, that you that you haven't seen, mm -hmm. there's been lack of, mm -hmm. or just something totally different that you want to make sure that the, the youth and the parents and just the overall community in District 4 um, needs to have and will have with you as a, their representative on the school board? Yeah, thank you for that. Um, in District 4, we have 18 schools okay. um, between our elementary, middle, and our one high school, which is McGavick. Um, McGavick is the largest high school in the district, um, uh, serving just under 2,000 students um, across the district. Um, as uh, recently, what we have seen within McGavick High School has been an increase um, in the amount of disruption happening within the school. And, and for me, I think it is a result of us not um, doing our due diligence and really addressing that social, emotional, and mental well-being um, of our students and our staff at this point. Right. Um, the pandemic has, um, and so we've had these challenges in high schools across our city. Um, I think the pandemic has only exacerbated that. Right. Um, and I think that there really needs to be more of a priority in making sure that we truly address that and we truly train and support our teachers and our staff within our schools to be able to support that as well. Um, we need to make sure that we are increasing social workers and mental health counselors and psychologists within our schools as well to be able to give our teachers and staff support. Um, and so that is one of the areas that I would love to focus on. Another thing from our listening sessions that we often hear is our voice isn't being heard. Mm -hmm. So I held um, listening sessions and focus groups with high school students wow. um, at McGavick High School um, to discuss what are some of the things, what are some of the issues that are important to you. Right. Um, some of the feedback that I got was, we really need more, we, we need more counselors within our school. Mm -hmm. Right? We need more outlets to be able to support students who are, who are going through so many circumstances that are at home right. um, or in their, 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 their environment that they're bringing into the school. Right. And because of all of the things that they're experiencing, sometimes learning is not their first priority. Right? right? And so they asked more mental health counselors mm -hmm. or more counselors in general just to be able to have those conversations right. and they asked it not only for themselves but for their teachers too mm. 
because they said our teachers are stressed out, right? <laughs> right? right. We're all stressed out. Right. And so how can we support ourselves and provide spaces within our school for that to happen? And how can we do the same for our teachers too right. and our support staff within our schools? Right. And so I just thought that that was extremely, extremely important. Um, hearing that from the voice of our students. Mm -hmm. um, another thing that our students um, uh, uh, want to do is how do they navigate circumstances right. within their, their schools, wanting to, they, they wanted more interaction with their school principal. How do I create systems where there's more communication and more relationship with their school principal and the leaders within their school? Mm -hmm. And so how do we facilitate ways in which that happens, right? right? right. Um, from families that we talked about, um, just creating greater family school partnerships right. and increasing communication. Um, and so that is something that they would like to see across our schools, making sure that that communication is consistent, it's transparent, and access right. um, is, is there, knowing how to navigate the system. Metro Nashville Public Schools is a huge system. It is. Right? And so how do we make parents more comfortable in interacting right. and getting involved? Um, I've received so many calls and working with families just across our district on how best to support their children. Mm -hmm. um, and so how do we create hubs that truly support families to be more involved and more engaged in supporting their kids? Because we know the more a family is engaged, the better a student will be exactly. and the, highly, the, the, the increase of success that they will have. Right. And so how do we create those environments that, that encourage and bring families in um, to be able to support them, not only in school, but at home too, to be able to do so. Sure. So you brought up something that is really interesting. You're talking about families. You're talking about growth. Nashville. That's a lot of growth. It's a lot of justification. Um, and it's spreading out, right? It's spreading mm -hmm. out to the Hermitage, the Donaldsons, and beyond. So I'm a Nashville native here. Born and raised, went to Pearl High School. Family went to White Creek, so I'm kind of, you know, they don't really... I'm a firebird, they cobras. That's another story. Okay. <laughs> and so... Um, and I've had this talk with, with, with other school board, active school board members and people in education. I have a almost two-year-old son. He'll be two next month. I understand the Metro Public School System may, if I look at the numbers, uh, I have a black son. Ah, you know, convince me. You know, as a person that went to public school here, um, why should I choose, especially if I can afford it, to send my my son to public school instead of maybe doing like a charter or like a private school system? Mm -hmm. Because I really, I really want to believe in the public school system. Mm -hmm. But if I look at the numbers, especially for my situation, a black son, mm -hmm. I. Uh, it's kind of it's like ah, uh, what can I do? But I know as a parent, I can have some, I can I can play a role into that improvement. Mm -hmm. But I don't know how much of a role I can play. And so, as a potential school board member, mm -hmm. and if I'm a parent coming to you, if I'm living in District Four, like hey, Dr. Berthina, you know, yeah. I have these options. You know, what what are we looking like? 
So let me tell you like I tell everybody else. I'm a big proponent of neighborhood and zone schools. Okay. A big proponent of it. My children all went through MNPS, mm -hmm. right? And so when I say my children, you know, and I say that I have six, Four of them are my biological children. I also had legal custody of my sister. Uh, she graduated from McGavick High School. Um, my, I also had custody and legal guardianship of uh, one of my former students mm -hmm. um, whose parents were undocumented and got deported mm -hmm. because I felt like she needed an opportunity for success too, right. right? And then my own children have also gone through Metro Nashville Public Schools. So I've had one come out of McGavick, two come out of Antioch, one come out of Hillsboro, and one come out of MLK. Right. And I currently have a third grader in MNPS Elementary School. And so for me, my priority is around making sure that not only my child has an opportunity for success, but every child within that school mm -hmm. has an opportunity for, for success, whether their parents are actively involved or their parents are trying to figure out how to navigate the system mm -hmm. or they're disconnected in some way. It is important as a community that we are wrapping our arms around children, Right. period. They are our future, and they will be the ones who will take care of us. Right. So I have a responsibility, just like you have a responsibility, to make sure that your black son mm -hmm. and my third grade black son mm -hmm. and my 21-year-old black son all have opportunities of success, and we are putting those structures in place and holding that level of accountability to make it happen. Right. And so as we are doing private schools or we're doing charter schools, that money is being drained out and we still have students left in our local and zone schools. Mm -hmm. Where is their opportunity for success too? Right. right. Right? And if I have the means to be able to do so, then I am going to contribute to this local school mm -hmm. to make sure that it's good enough for my baby and right. every other baby in there. Mm. And we just have a responsibility to, to make sure that it happens. Right. And the more that you're involved, the more that I am involved, it helps bring up that school right. and really helps support that school. Right. And so I truly relate to what where you're going through. My son came through, I have two sons, mm -hmm. um, black sons who have come through MNPS. Mm -hmm. And I know my third grader, he's cute and sweet now. Mm -hmm. Right? right? But at some point, he's not going to be cute and sweet. Right. And he's going to be subject to the same types of profiling that my 21-year-old son, right. who, by the way, is a senior this year graduating from Vanderbilt University, coming out of Metro Nashville Public Schools. Right. <laughs> right? Kudos. Cause, yes. Yeah. And not only is he graduating, he's graduating debt-free. Oh, wow. And he already has a job. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay? And amazing. so he will be relocating. And so what I want for him, mm -hmm. I want for every other black boy that's coming through our school. We right. have got to do better um, with our students, right. with our children, right. right? And we have to make sure that we are leveling the playing field right. and making sure that we provide that foundation so that every child will succeed. Mm -hmm. In this race, I don't know how many people I have talked to whose children are in private school and in other places, and I have said, hey, guess what? Ten of you live in the same neighborhood. Right. None of you are sending your kid to the local public school. But guess what? You could create the same circumstance that Lachlan did <laughs> mm, for your neighborhood. Yep. 
right? And create that same opportunity for not only your children, but the children in that neighborhood too. Right. And you're leveling it up and bringing it up. Right. Yeah, no, that's what I learned. Like, and it totally flipped, right? Because I think I had a great, you know, middle school, high school, elementary yeah. experience in Nashville. You know, I had, but then you, you, you become an adult, you start thinking practical. Yeah. <laughs> you start speaking out, oh, hold on, wait a minute, our whole state is ranked? 45, hold on, wait a minute, what did I miss? But then, you know, after having these type of conversations, I really understood, like, the role that I could play mm -hmm. as a parent, right? Um, and as forward. a community member. As a community member, right? yeah, yeah. And so as a parent, we want to make sure that our kids are okay. Right. But it's a bigger picture, too. Exactly. <laughs> we want to make sure that every kid is okay. Right. Because what I want for mine, you want for yours. Right. And I should want what I have for mine for yours. That yes, should be that absolutely. The community and, talk. And we have to, and that that's a community talk that we need to come back to. Right. I remember growing up, I went to public school growing up, and I came through a community, you may have done it too, where if you got in trouble at school, every neighbor knew you got in trouble, mm -hmm. and they was putting you in check mm -hmm. all the way home, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> where you got in trouble at home. You ain't Man. even made it home yet. Look. <laughs> I got in trouble. I got. I used to get whooping just for for acting like I was trying to yeah, get upset at school. Absolutely, it was, it was different back then. Now I. You but know. it's that village community, right, right? Right. That it's that community coming around to say we are going to do what's right by kids. Exactly. And so even in that, I had families whose parents didn't even have an eighth grade education. Mm. They hadn't graduated from high school, but they knew the importance of education because right. they wanted to make sure their kids. Mm -hmm. And the community's kids didn't go through what they had to go through. And right. I think every generation has to build on top of that. Right. And we need to be strategic and we need to be intentional about making sure that that happens. Right. And calling people out when it doesn't. Right. Yeah. No, I'm off with calling that, calling out. Yeah. Go ahead and put it on Front Street. And so you, you, I like that you had those listening sessions, right, mm -hmm. with students, right? Because a lot of times... Like they they they're the most affected, but they're mm -hmm. the, they they're usually not listened to, absolutely, you know, or the least listened to when mm -hmm. it comes to what type of experience that they want to have. Um, and they just went through something that no none of us have probably went through when it comes to a pandemic and having to. This do, is you know, new to all of us. Remote. Mm -hmm. Does everybody have access to internet, laptop, mm -hmm. all of these things, right? And so, how do you? tackle that going forward because it's going to be something I feel is a part of our social fabric for a long time and it has made us I think look at education in a different way mm -hmm. but also figure it like identify some disparities identify some some blind spots that we've had for yeah. a long time some neglecting that we've been doing for a long time and so how do you how do you move forward with still addressing those and still learning and growing and figuring out how to best serve our students here uh, specifically in District 4. Yeah, so I'm glad you brought that up. Um, part of that listening session with our students, one of the things that I never thought about, right? Um, a lot of our students work, mm. right? Yeah. And a lot of our students work not because they have to, it's because they're supporting families in different ways, right? right? And for some of them, this remote learning opportunity was great for them because it gave them the flexibility for their education and an opportunity to get out in that workforce. Right. And now for them, for some of them, the conversation is around, I don't have the same level of flexibility. 
And so I'm intentionally wanting to withdraw, go to an online learning program so that I can retain that level of flexibility mm. because it worked for me. Yeah. I had other students who said, you know what? I was more focused. I didn't have the distractions. I wasn't being bullied. And I didn't have to go through those challenges that I faced within school. Right. And so remote learning worked for them. Right. They all admitted, at first I took it for granted. Mm -hmm. And then I had to realize I had to take it serious. Right. And so those were growth opportunities mm -hmm. for them as well. And then we had students also who said, you know what? Online learning didn't work for me. I am an in-person, face-to-face. I can't concentrate, right. <laughs> right? I have a short attention span, and I just need somebody in the classroom um, with me. And so in saying that, I'm saying that we really need to rethink how we support students. Mm -hmm. Because some of our students may want to do well in a remote learning opportunity because it provides them the flexibility. Right. And other students may need that in-person classroom space. Right. And so we, we really have to look at that dynamic on how we're truly supporting every student within our school. Right. Personally, I learned best in person. Right. I took an online class and I thought I was going to die. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I'm just an in-person social butterfly. Mm -hmm. I like to interact. I learn and grow from learning in person. I mm -hmm. think that that is the best mode, right. but that's part of my bias because that's how I learn. Right. Yeah. Um, but I think we need to make sure that we are looking at it equitably. Mm -hmm. We are ensuring that we are meeting students where they are, right. that we are assessing them to see where they are, and then we are, we are really guiding that to improve those outcomes for them and involving them in the conversation and involving their fam families in the conversation. Yeah, that's, um, you just made me think about something I never think about. The flexibility of students working and saying, hey, I prefer to do an all online high school education. I was because, shocked. Because, I, because <laughs> I, I need to support my household. Wow. That's different. That's, yeah, different. that's different, but if we're thinking about equity, yeah, that's the reality of a lot of families across our district, right? right? Yeah. So we say that kids need to be kids, but if we're really looking at how we are supporting kids in our districts and families in our district, we have to have different kinds of conversations, right? And be, right? And, be creative. and what does it really mean to make sure that our kids are college ready, mm -hmm. <laughs> career yeah. ready, right. or just ready for life? Right. And so we, we really have to have to think about that right. and really examine that um, and making sure that we're not making blanket statements right. and we're really getting in and doing the work. And so I think as a coming back as a board member, I think those are conversations. It, it, it really takes someone who understands this and can lead those conversations right. and know what questions to ask when to ask those questions, and what type of planning we can have. Right. So for me, in doing school improvement work um, nationally, right, working with schools and districts, it's what is the mission of Metro Nashville Public Schools? Right, I don't know. What, it, what, what is the vision of right. Metro Nashville yeah. Public Schools, and what are the goals, Yeah. right? And any conversation that we have, are we aligning it to it? Mm. Right? right? Because ultimately it comes back to we need to make sure that our kids are prepared. Right. 
And so oftentimes what I see are distractions. Right. <laughs> right? Instead of those intentional conversations, those transparent conversations, and oftentimes those hard conversations. Yeah. Right? Where are we as a district? Where do we need to grow? Is this working over here? If it's not, do we need to rethink about it? Do we re really need to redirect? Are we truly looking at that equity framework right. that we say that we're looking to do? So for me, I'm really excited that Dr. Batto has hired someone that really focuses in on equity, mm -hmm. right? Because now we're beginning to now we're beginning to shift. We've started, right. <laughs> right? right? And of course, we have a long way to go, but we're we're really making sure that that's important. Right. How are we making sure that it's equitable from District 4 right. to District 2 to District 6 to mm -hmm. District 8 and across our district. Yeah, I, right? think, um, I think school board members are going to have to probably be way more creative than before because technology has changed the game. Mm -hmm. um, and um, people have to do a lot of reflecting, I think, of getting, getting away from what they was comfortable with and what mm -hmm. they feel like education should be mm -hmm. and what the youth these days want because technology kids are becoming millionaires on a laptop mm -hmm. like that's that's just what it is these days mm -hmm. right and 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 stem is becoming i think more important but just in a different way than i think we've imagined what stem was 10 20 years ago mm -hmm. especially when i was at, when it was kind of new i was stem let's focus on stem well stem now is instagram it's TikTok. Yeah. It's it's these other social media platforms or just technology coding mm -hmm. where I I don't I just need to learn the skill. I, I don't know if I need to go to get a four year degree. Right. How and does, that's where trade come in. Yeah, that's right. Where trade, yeah. And and what does and, and and how do a public school system respond to that? You know, and and incorporate those things over time. Right. And and which I think is going to be interesting. Yeah, and I think that's where some of that misconception comes in, right? Mm -hmm. Because Metro Nashville Public Schools provides computer science coursework right. and STEM coursework. Right. And so my, my son attended school. Um, his Right now he's a senior at Vanderbilt. His major is computer engineering, mm. right, going right. into STEM. I'm a chemistry and physical science teacher. Right. For me, it's so important that we increase representation of our black and brown kids in STEM. Yeah. Right? right. Um, from from male to female. Right. And so since I'm a female, that's that's my space, right? right? But I also think it's important that our black males mm -hmm. as well have an opportunity for that because right. STEM is there. Right. Um, and we need more people in STEM. Technology is blowing up and it's changing every other day. <laughs> I feel like there's al always something <laughs> there's always something new. And I have a third grader, an eight-year-old. And I feel like he was born in the age of technology. I have something wrong with my iPhone. I just give it to him and be like, here, baby. <laughs> Troubleshoot that. <laughs> Troubleshoot that, right? Um, he's already into coding right. um, and doing work um, in coding. And, and, and he loves it. Right. Um, Lego League and Minecraft and, mm -hmm. and all of those technology things are, are his jam. Right. And so how are we how are we in, infusing that right. and so mnps does um, have stem grants they have the stem program where they're really working to to uh, increase the level of stem in middle school mm -hmm. for students there are programs after school programs and during school programs where schools are getting stem certification 
Um, elementary, wow. middle, and high schools are getting STEM certification. There's a state-level STEM certification. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, there's a national STEM certification. Um, I served on the national <laughs> uh, committee wow. uh, for STEM certification um, through Cognia. Um, which right. which has that. And so there's different programs that are really looking to increase the representation of STEM in our school. Mm -hmm. And we see the importance um, of how STEM is playing out in right. building right. Um, and improving our academic outcomes too. I want to go, I want to, I want to go to something that um, I haven't, I haven't hit on in this specific way. Sure. Um, but it, and it just it just hit me not too long ago when I, when I knew I was having you on, I was going to ask you about this. Well, see what your role could be in this. You know, we talk about the, the school to prison pipeline. Mm -hmm. And I be, I've been talking to all these, you know, elected candidates for judicial elections and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And the one thing, the common thing that keeps coming up is like, hey, I don't even like juvenile justice. Right. Mm -hmm. How do we deter you from even being up in the courtrooms like and that's meeting them in where they are which you right. brought up right being that resource or providing resources that will alleviate them from even having to make a choice that would possibly make them end up mm -hmm. in juvenile court what role could you see a school board like as a school board member playing a part in diverting you from even ending up in the juvenile court system um, and this is something that I never thought about a school board member being like, I'm thinking mm -hmm. school board member, but it's all connected mm -hmm. and why like, we're all part of the community. And so how could you see yourself being an advocate, a voice and using, you know, your, your, your position of power that you may have as a school mm -hmm. board member in district four to get in front of those youth and be honest and say, Hey, you know, I see that, you know, that you might be living in poverty. You mm -hmm. may not have certain resources. Um, that may lead you down a path to to get those resources by any means necessary where you don't you shouldn't even have to worry about those things and it's up for us to make sure you have that what role do you see yourself playing yeah so that? absolutely so <laughs> I think that that question is kind of part of my legacy so mm -hmm. my mom is um, a Nashville native uh, she graduated from Cameron okay, yeah, High back School in, yeah, in 1958, uh -huh. mm -hmm. right? Um, and sh and so that was during segregated times, and she saw the the impact um, and the and the inequities that existed then, and some of the same challenges that we exist now. Right. And one of the things that she often told me was um, because she was during the time of segregation, all of her teachers were black, mm. right? She grew up in J.C. Napier, right? And one thing that she said was, one thing that our teachers instilled in us was we would not use our circumstances to define who we were mm. and limit our ability. Mm. And so those teachers did not allow students. They held high expectations for students and, and, and made them um, uh, step up, right, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, to the plate. And I think for us, it's not only our school system and our schools that need to do that work, but it's the partnerships with our community right. that also needs to happen. School doesn't happen in isolation. Kids don't happen in isolation. Right. So it really is going to take our school system and our partnerships with, a, with our communities and our com partnerships with our judges, mm -hmm. right? If we truly want to, to push this restorative 
idea, it is going to take all of our stakeholders, right? So not only, I mean, our school system, our wraparound support systems, our, our nonprofit organizations, our faith-based institutions, we have got to work together to disrupt um, uh, the school to prison pipeline and sh and provide opportunities where students see a different way. Right. More after school programs need to happen in our city. Right. Um, so that we engage students after school. When you have students who are not engaged, they find things to do. Right. They get engaged. They in get engaged ways. whether you want them to or not. <laughs> right. So why can we not find opportunities across our city to prioritize after school programs that truly engage and become a partner? We have some, we need to approve upon it. Right. Uh, within our schools, right? Um, I think faith-based institutions play a part. Um, so as a board member, I think is really advocating um, in that role to make sure that we are truly having those conversations. I'm a public school kid. Was it easy? Did I get off track? Absolutely along the way. Right. But it was my family. It was friends. Right. It was the community that all kept us in check to make that happen. For my kids, same thing. Right. You know, um, it was the community. It was faith-based institution. It was friends. We kept each other in check, right. right, to make sure that that happens. And I think every child needs that same level of support system and engagement. Families come to me all the time. I'm actively involved. Right. Um, I am constantly returning phone calls. I am constantly connecting them with resources. I am constantly partnering with schools and being intentional with schools to say, hey, what do you need right. that you're not getting? Right. Right. Um, and really engaging that conversation, because for me, I can't be a school, a good school board member if I'm not informed about what's going on. Right. And so prior to every board meeting, prior to um, when I joined, when I was on the board for that four months, I intentionally reached out to the schools. <laughs> I intentionally reached out to families. Right. I constantly engaged students right. whose voices was heard so that as I made decisions, I center their voices. Right. For me, it's so important that we are centering the voices of those who are most impacted by our decisions. That's mm -hmm. our families, our students, our teachers, and our staff. Right. We've got to center their voices. And we have to make sure that we are looking at our school system not in isolation because our schools can't do it alone. Right. It's really going to take all of us. And I know on your platform, you're really big on heavy and investing in teachers and staff, right? Uh, teachers are staff, but other staff, bus drivers. Um, I feel like every person in the school is a part of the school community and yeah. can make an impact on a student. Right. Right? That's from our custodian mm -hmm. to, I mean, everyone. Yep. Everyone within our school has the ability to make an impact um, on a student's life mm -hmm. and to build a relationship. Right. That's another person. That's another advocate for that that child. Right. Right. And so we need to make sure that 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 happens. And so you say I'm big on investing in our teachers and our support staff. I'm also big on supporting the social, emotional and mental well-being of our students. Mm -hmm. I'm also big on making sure that we address learning gaps right. and improve academic outcomes and close those achievement gaps. Right. That's where that disparity comes in. That's where we are not meeting equity. Mm -hmm. We have 
groups of students in our black and brown communities whose needs are not being met. Right. We have a host of ELL students whose needs aren't being met. Right. <laughs> Low income families whose needs aren't being met. Right. That's where that equity piece comes in. Right. Meeting students where they truly are and addressing those needs right. and improving that. Um, and, and making sure that, that we have the resources in place that truly supports them. Right. Yeah. And, and I want to throw this idea and see if this is happening. Because okay. funding is a big thing to getting, accomplishing everything that you're talking about, right? Um, let's just go with the social emotional learning, right? Um, we know there's funding there. Um, if I'm not... If I'm not mistaken, I think Mayor Cooper put the largest, or maybe Dr. Battle, maybe it's and both, invested the large amount of like social emotional learning monies into the budget in history ever, mm -hmm. right? Um, but you know, money doesn't last forever. These things are forever growing. Right. Um, where does where where does community partnerships play a part in that? As far as if I know there are. Um, if I know there are uh, specialists out there to deal with mental health, mm -hmm. where does, hey, can you volunteer, you know, a couple of hours a month to our students mm -hmm. here to come, to, come, to come talk to you, whether you come to them or they come mm -hmm. to you or something like that? How does, how does that play a part in the social emotional learning when it comes to um, investing, when it comes to uh, meeting youth where they are, when it comes to just resources that may not be able to come you know expeditiously through the budget but there are mm -hmm. community members that are willing to serve and willing to be like hey i have the time I, I i this is my profession i can serve here yeah so before i answer that question you brought up the idea of funding mm -hmm. right and so we are at an impasse right now mm -hmm. um nashville metro nashville public school is the s second largest school district in our state Okay. We serve a little more than 80,000 students mm -hmm. um, across our district, which is about 8 to 10% of the student population in our state. Right. We are, the state is currently looking at how they are funding right. students across our state. Right now, with the current funding formula, Nashville is expected to receive the lowest mm. allocation of the hundred and of, of the of the other hundred and forty six districts, there's a total of mm -hmm. hundred and forty seven. The second largest school district, serving eighty thousand students, receiving the lowest allocation of funding. Yeah, that that doesn't make sense. If the state is not doing their share, then guess who has to do it? The city. The city. And in order for the city to do it what's going to happen taxes taxes right mm -hmm. when is the state going to step up and do their due diligence and their right by our students here in nashville and so when you're talking about what can a school board member do mm -hmm. first of all a school board member can understand that that is an area that they have to advocate for their role as a school board member is to make sure that our district has the funding that they need. Right. That is building relationship with state level officials, as well as local level officials, as well as informing the community mm -hmm. so that they can activate and get involved too. Right. 
because it's going to take all of us to step up and say Nashville needs its fair share. Right. We need our piece of the pie. Right. And we need to make it happen for our kids. That's crazy. It's crazy. That's ridiculous. And nobody wants more taxes, you know. And nobody wants more taxes. But if taxes, if, if the state was doing their fair share mm -hmm. and our city was doing what they needed to do, right. <laughs> then we would be, it, it would be okay. It would make sense. Right. Right? And so when we look at this funding mechanism, you'll oftentimes see, hear the state say, oh, well, we fund at 70% of the budget. In Nashville, it, 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 you'll hear them say that they fund at 70% of the budget and the city funds at 30%. In Nashville, that's vice versa. Mm. Nashville funds at 70% because they say we make a lot of money so right. we can afford to. Right. And the state, state, state funds at 30%. Yeah. And so we really have to have, our community really needs to be informed about this. Right. And we really need to make sure that we're activating everyone right. to get involved in this conversation. Right. And really, really pushing that right. and having those conversations. NOAA has been actively involved recently mm -hmm. um, in the state funding mechanism. And there's a lot of nonprofits across our community that's doing so. Right. Um, and really getting involved in that conversation. As far as partnerships are concerned, Pencil. I serve. Are you familiar with I Pencil? Familiar yeah. With Pencil. So I sat on the board of Pencil for many, many years, and one of Pencil's role is creating and 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 getting those partnerships for our school district right. to make sure that we are creating those partners, whether it is tutoring, mm -hmm. whether it is providing resources, whether it is giving um, our schools the support that they need. So we have partnerships like Pencil, we have partnerships like Alignment Nashville and other organizations that are coming in to be able to do so. Right. We need to continue to expand upon it. Right. right. How are we partnering with mental health organizations? Mm -hmm. um, there's programs like Star Nashville right. that brings in um, that level of support. We have the Oasis Center mm -hmm. that's coming in for that level of support. So we have nonprofit organizations that are doing that work. We need to continue to expand and advocate on that. Right. <clears throat> you bring up. Um equality and this is a big thing um as far as gender equality now in our schools mm -hmm. um just making sure that uh, the lbgtq plus community specifically um you have an outlet for it mm -hmm. um, they can feel comfortable they can be themselves and that's probably where some of their social and emotional learning comes in too mm -hmm. um how is that being played out in, in district four I know as a state, you know, you know, um, right. <laughs> you know, we have a lot of um, um, anti-gay bills mm -hmm. um, as a state, um, you mm -hmm. know, with our governor. Um, come on, Governor Lee, come on, welcome to the platform anytime. Yeah. But um, how, how, how does your role as a potential school board member play into that and having those type of conversations with, with parents, with your constituents, um, because that's kind of. It depends, you know, um, on where you sit when it comes to those type of conversations. What should be those conversations that should be had in school, those sort of conversations that should be had in mm -hmm. home. But how do we just make it a, a safe and brave space for everybody in our schools? Um, 
Great question. Yeah. No, great question. Um, one thing that I applaud our district for doing and our school board for doing, um, they came out with a proclamation okay. um, a few months ago um, in response to the bills um, that came up through our legislation mm -hmm. um, and saying that we are going to make sure MNPS is an inclusive environment where every student across our district can be who they are and show up the way they need to show up. And so for me, when I'm looking at, we have low literacy rates right. in our district, right? Um, and one way to help improve literacy in our district is making sure that our students have literature that reflects who they are mm. and how they show up in the world. Mm. I have a black boy. Right. You talked about your son, mm -hmm. right? When he reads a book that has another black boy in it, he right. gets all excited right. because he can see himself in that literature, right? right? He's a gamer. So anything related to gamers, <laughs> he's excited. Right. To see a black boy gaming, right. he's even more excited. Right. To see a black boy being an engineer, mm -hmm. he sees his brother, mm -hmm. right? And so I think for us, we need to make sure that we are allowing our students and giving them the confidence to be, to, 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 to show up, right? right, um, and, and to show up in the way that they need to, right. to best reflect. And so we have to create that inclusive environment. I'm Muslim, <laughs> it's obvious, right. right? And so we have had bills that says, no English only bills. Right. I've had people tell me, go home. Mm. And I'm like, where, where is home? Right. Right. <laughs> Point me this in that direction. Is, yeah, point me in that direction. Go back to where you came from. Right. My mom and my dad. Like, right. So what does that really mean? So I know what it feels like personally as a black female, mm -hmm. right? I know what it feels like in the black community to be right. otherized. Right. I know what it feels like as a Muslim mm -hmm. to be otherized right. and as a female, right. right, to be dismissed. And so I don't want any student to feel or to be targeted in a way that diminishes who they are right. and what they can be. Right. This race is a little different. It is. It's a partisan race. It is. Democrats and Republicans, some would say this is kind of muddy the waters a little bit because if maybe I don't know any of the candidates, but if they identify with the party I identify with, then I may just go with them even if I don't understand the platform that they are. Um, how do you approach that aspect of it knowing like in the polarizing climate that we're in, when it comes to picking parties, when it comes to politics in that, in that way, um, how's that kind of shaped your kind of campaign a little bit, your message, has it at all, or is it something you've, you've had to, to figure out in this particular, because this is the first time it is yeah, in, in Davidson County, right? And yeah, so as a mom and as an educator, I need people to quit playing politics with kids. Mm. Partisan politics has no place in education. It really doesn't, mm. right? right? And where we're heading with this partisan politics is, is oftentimes not in the best interest of children right? and what we should be doing for children. Right. And so I'm a proud Democrat. I don't back down on that, right? right? Proud Democrat, proud, run, proud to run on the ticket, but fundamentally just believe that 
we shouldn't have partisan politics in schools. I educate republic, you know, Republican kids, right. <laughs> and 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 really, I, I even hate to say that because kids don't vote, right? <laughs> right? I educate all kids, regardless right. of their parents' political affiliation. Right. And we have to make sure that we are doing what's best for children. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. And, and that's how we need to center that conversation. Right. Do you see that being an issue going forward when you, because that's what it I comes don't. out to, you, you have parents, right, that's mm-hmm. going to say, oh, yeah, well, you know, I thought... Dr. Bartina was with me, but she's a Democrat, not a Republican. Mm-hmm. You know, do you see that being an issue, or do you see it being Republican kids in one classroom, Democratic kids in another? I honestly, I honestly don't see it as being an issue. Um, I've had conversations with families on both sides okay. of the aisle, and families just want what's best for their kids. Okay, they want their kids to have access um, to a high quality education. They want their kids to be successful at every level, starting with their earliest of learners. They right. want them to have a strong foundation, um, and they want to, to be able to send them to, to a school that's going to provide it. Right. Um, a lot of families are not caught up in what you're seeing at our state. Right. Right. Um, a lot of both on Republican and Democrat side have an issue with it too. Right. And so what I have seen just in the conversations that I've had, um, I've seen a lot of bipartisan support, to be honest, Um, across both aisles. Parents just want what's best, um, and they want to leave politics out of of schools. So um, I usually start off with this, but you got it it cracking real early in the conversation. I apologize. No, it's okay. (laughs) But um, I, I think I, I'm just curious, and I, 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 I believe our viewers and our, you know, our listeners are curious too, of you know what inspires you, right, to to get involved in education and also take it a step further to want to represent a district when it comes to getting involved in education and making sure we have a safety in schools and equitable education and everybody's voices is being heard and amplified in the manner that it needs to be, you know, in that particular district? Um, what inspired me to be, to, to jump into education was my mom. Okay. Um, again, I told you the story of my mom. She's a, you know, graduate of Metro Nashville public schools, um, back during segregation, um, her foundation for education and the people that poured into her, mm-hmm. um, she poured into others. She was a preschool, uh, she worked in preschool education for 40 years mm. because she felt like black children needed a solid foundation, mm. a solid foundation, and they weren't getting it. Right. As I told you, I have seven brothers, Right. seven black men. right Um, and and two black women and she wanted to make sure um, and ensure that not only we had a solid foundation Mm -hmm. but the community around her had a solid foundation as well my father was also an inspiration Um, my father owned a small community news black owned newspaper um, in our community Um, and he started that newspaper because he was tired of seeing the negative perception of black people in the community, mm-hmm. and he wanted to change that conversation and uplift the positive voices of our black community. Right. So my parents inspired me to get involved in community, 
to do what was right by community and to make sure that we used education as a vehicle that could transform communities and change conversations, right? right? And so I started my career in early childhood right. because I was following in my mom's footsteps, mm -hmm. right? Then something got into me and I switched from early childhood to high school. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Jumped into it, right? right. Um, and loved it. Um, and continued with that. As a teacher, I often saw how we had to, lack of resources within our schools and trying to make it work. Right. And we had legislators at the state level making decisions about schools that had never been in a classroom right. and oftentimes didn't have children in a public school right. to truly understand, right? And so as a teacher, I often saw that. And for me, I said, you know what? I want to go into administration too because, because of my work in early childhood and administration, I felt that I could truly support our teachers and our staff to ultimately help our kids. Right. And so working in administration gave me the skills around building that culture and climate that we wanted to see, mm -hmm. on really focusing in on data-informed data mm -hmm. best practices for our kids to improve those academic outcomes, right. creating a culture <laughs> right. Right, of accountability mm -hmm. within our schools that we all work together. Right including our students right. and every member of our school community had a voice right. and I truly believe in every person in our school every adult member in our school being another advocate for our kid mm. to say you know what you can do this right you got this right and redirect them in the way to make it happen I'm, I'm a village person right. it takes a community and so going from there I went into um, uh, a, a school turnaround. Um, we had a low-performing school that, that I worked with and turned around. That lent me opportunities um, into working with other schools. Mm -hmm. um, that went national, working with schools and districts um, and just leveling the playing field, right? Because right. we know the communities that are most impacted. Right. We know. Yeah. <laughs> we know. And so we have to do better. Right. Um, and if I could play any part in doing that, that's what led me to this. Okay. Okay, and so for me, when it comes to the school board um, and why I'm passionate about that, it really, I, I guess I'm at a position now where we need people who not only have the knowledge, but the expertise to be able to make change. Right. Have those important conversations and really improve things for our children. Um, and so I didn't, I, di I didn't come up through the ranks wanting to be a politician, <laughs> right? <laughs> but if not me, then who? Right. And why not? Right. And so that is why I'm here. I am student focused. I am, uh, and to be student focused, right? Mm -hmm. We need to make sure that we are taking care of the people that we are trusting our little ones with. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. We have to make sure that we're doing it. Right. Um, and, and, and we're not only talking about investing in, with them through pay, professional development, right. restorative practice training, social right. emotional training. How do we create that culture and climate that we want to see right. to make it sustainable um, so that we can 
have that level of accountability mm -hmm. and we can see growth right. and we can be intentional about practices that we have and that we can meet every single student where they are and provide them the supports they need to be successful. It's a four-year term, right? four-year term. Four years. You know. And we don't have time to wait for somebody to figure it out. Right. Four years. What does four years look like with you? At the four years four? mean four years of education for uh, of elementary for a child, four years of middle school for a child, or four years of high school. Mm -hmm. And we don't need board members in there trying to figure it out. We need board members who have the knowledge and expertise to hit the ground running to make mm -hmm. intentional change mm. and improvements across our district. There are great things that Dr. Battle is doing, mm -hmm. right, across our system. Right. And we need to be able to support the great things, and we need to be able to reimagine the things that are not working, right. that we need to continue to improve. Our district didn't get here overnight. Right. It's not going to make an improvement overnight, right. but we need to make sure that we keep our eye on the prize by making intentional, strategic, and measured outcomes that we want to see across this district. And we need to make sure that we are having those transparent conversations to be able to have it. As a school board member, we have one employee. One. Right. That's Dr. Battle. She has nine bosses. Right. Right? right. That are representing nine different districts across our city. Right. And so we need to be able to support her, guide her, and also redirect when necessary right. to make sure that it is equitable mm -hmm. <laughs> across our district and that every student is having that opportunity and level of success, right? right? And we also need to make sure that we are advocating <laughs> for our district as well. Right. Support is a big thing, right? You need support in a campaign. Um, you need funds. I do. Volunteers. I um, do. How can people do that um, and reach out to you, whether they want to support financially, support with woman or man hours or yard signs, whatever they can do, you know? How hey can they support that? How can they do How can they do that? Let me help you out here. So early voting starts April 13th through April 28th, um, and election day is May the 3rd. We need we need volunteers to help at the polls. Mm -hmm. So if they are willing to work at the polls, we need you. Right. Whether it's an hour, two hours, the whole day. Right. We need support um, at the polls. When it comes to uh, donating to the campaign, we need those resources. Uh, campaigning and politics takes a lot of money. And oftentimes, I'm like, the amount of money that it's take, can we just give it to the kids? Right. Because sometimes it's just a crime, right? right? But that's the nature of politics, and that's the nature of campaign. Mm -hmm. So I would love your support there. You can visit our website at www.drberthinaformetroschools.com. You can also find me on social media. Um, we're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and you can just give me a call. Call me up, 615-475-8162. I will answer the phone. <laughs> hey, she ain't put, so communicate. She ain't put the number out there now. <laughs> I put my number out there, communicate, get involved. I have people calling all the time. Mm -hmm. um, would love, love, love your support and your vote mm -hmm. on May the 3rd. Now, I think, I, think, I think it's important because it is 
a different type of race now. It is. So it's like two steps. It is. And so. One race at a time. One race at a time. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Just making sure people understand. We this is a cruise. This is a two step process here this time. Yes. So okay. So we so we have the Democratic primary that's coming up on May the Mm third, and this is when early voting starts Mm -hmm. um, in two days. Right. Looks like. Yep. um, For early voting. Um, so, uh, one, one campaign as a, at a time. Okay. And so right now we need to finish out strong. Mm-hmm. We need to make sure that we are continuing to get out into the community and canvas and phone bank and work those polls, tell your friends, right. tell your family, right. tell your neighbors, get out into the community. Mm-hmm. If you want to write a postcard, we even have an opportunity for you to do that. Any way that you would like to get involved in our campaign, we welcome it. Um, we would really appreciate it. And if you're still undecided, call me up. Let's have a conversation. Right. Or, I appreciate it. Or just watch this interview, you know. Or just, just watch this interview. interview. Yeah, right. That's all you got to do. Yeah. Thank you um, so much for this opportunity. No, no. I really, really appreciate no, it. No, thank you. And I want to leave you with the last word um, since you, you're the special guest. Um, oh, is there you. Is there anything that we didn't touch on just throughout the interview um, or something I didn't ask you that you want to leave the listeners and viewers with? Um that we didn't touch on, that we didn't hit on? Any last points? I guess the last point would be um, investigate your your candidates. Okay. Really study your candidates. And that's from school board races to our judicial races. School board races are four years, right? And and for me, four years is a long time to make an impact, right? Um, again, that's four years of elementary, four years of middle school, or four years of high school. Um, so make sure you're investigating. Our judicial races are eight years. Right. Eight years is a long time. Pretty much a decade. I Pretty much a Round yeah. it on up. <laughs> Round it on up. And so I just ask everyone to make sure that you are really um, looking at your candidates. Look at who they are. Ask them questions. Right. Um, contact them. Be engaged. Um, in this process, this is an important race right. um, that we have coming up. And I welcome any conversations and any calls um, in this race um, to, to, to make sure that you are voting for the right candidate um, to continue to move on to that general election. Again, this is a Democratic primary. Um, and so I, inv- I, I implore you um, and, and invite you um, to really study your candidates and know who you're voting for, understand what their platforms are, mm-hmm. um, and understand how their knowledge and experience can help lead the way. So I ask you again, vote Dr. B <laughs> for MNPS School Board in District 4. And on the ballot, it's the second name, longest name on the ballot. <laughs> Helping you out here, guys. Longest name on the ballot. Dr. B for school board in District 4. Thank you. Well, look, I appreciate this. I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you. And I hope, I know. I did too. The, the viewers and the listeners, they'll enjoy it too. And next time, you know, pizza, we'll figure it out. We'll make it happen. Oh, you're good. It's all good. <laughs> it's all good. It's, thank you so much no, for the time. No, I really, no, really appreciate no, it. And no. thank you for your invitation. This has been great. And no. I love your space. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This no, is awesome. No, no, thank you. I appreciate it. And shout out to Symphony because she made this happen. Yes. Thank you, Symphony. <laughs> this is awesome. I'm going to have to connect with you, girl. Hey, Symphony, <laughs> I need a founder's feet. Uh, <laughs> all right. Thank you, Dr. B. Appreciate thank it. Thank you. I appreciate it.